This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, fresh off of Vancouver Real Estate Live last wow. night, Taylor Steele, Taylor Blue Steel. Taylor Blue Steel. He blew the doors off that one. That was a, It was such a good time. If you are joining us uh, for these Vancouver Real Estate Live episodes on YouTube, where you can actually participate and hang out, uh, have a beer, relax, ask questions, talk anything real estate, we appreciate it. But also, if you're not, you should be. Yeah, I mean, just to give people an idea of what it is, it's basically we sit down, have a beer, and engage with people on the, uh, the, the internet. It's basically, yeah, it's talking real estate for an hour, talking whatever anyone wants to talk about, and it's, uh, no, it's such a good time. It is a good time. And today's guest, Matt, is none other than finance professor and SFU professor from the BD School of Business, Andre Pavlov. Andre Pavlov. So you might remember Andre from the last time he was on when he debated Tom Davidoff on our yes. program. That was a phenomenal episode. This episode is fantastic as well. He's actually going to join us on the next Vancouver Real Estate Live. So if you're he interested is. in talking to Andre Pavlov in mid-January, we're going to announce that one. That's going to be super exciting as well. But this this doesn't disappoint. We haven't had somebody uh, of Andre's stature on in a while. He's un- He's really, he has such a strong command of not only what's going on in the market or about different real estate markets in general, but also like he's so driven by what's going on in the policy. They're doing studies on the, on the areas that are kind of most open to uh, density, 
Um, there's so much that comes out of this. Like if you're if if you're interested in policy or the market in general, you're going to love this. If you're an investor, you're going to love this. If you're a homeowner or just somebody who loves Vancouver, you're going to love this. This is a great episode. This is if you like the idea of private property, you're going to love this <laughs> as as a concept. You're yeah. going to love this. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah, there's 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 tons uh, here, so stay tuned for that. But before we get to our interview with Andre Matt, we also have the Oakland tip, and the Oakland tip is always preceded by our tip. Now we yeah. used to do a jingle; it's your yeah, and then we scrapped the jingle, we scrapped secret, and now we're doing a tip before. And this is, I think it's this. This is your turn. It's this my week. turn, and this is kind of off the cuff tips, just for anyone out there listening. Mostly I got movies, mainly Netflix mainly and Over the Hill, not <laughs> not chill. It's, 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 uh, we're the it's the post forty guys reviewing Netflix. Yeah, exactly. I'm only thirty eight. I just yeah. looked forty five. <laughs> exactly. So the Netflix and Over the Hill component of yeah. the show. I like that. Uh, this week I got one for you. It's do not watch, especially if you're married. <laughs> Marriage Story. Yeah. This is... Uh, I think we so, both watched it the same and, night. And uh, I don't know if you went into a tailspin as well. Uh, My back, relationship. Back did. in therapy. <laughs> yeah. Back in therapy. Yeah. with No, marriage counseling. I mean, not therapy. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's... Uh, no, that's a doozy. Oh, man. It's a Noah Baumbach, right? Yeah. Am I pronouncing that correctly? I think correctly? you're pronouncing it correctly. 96% yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes, and they call it a comedy. That is the furthest thing it is from a, a comedy. No, it's a tragedy. There's nothing... There's nothing comedic about how tragic that yeah. story is. And it's very realistic. It, yeah. it captures, I think... Good uh, acting. Adam good Driver at- is is phenomenal. Actually, uh, Scarlett Johansson is also very good. Yeah. In, in the, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great movie. Just Horrible. watch it by yourself. Yeah. yeah. And actually, just don't even watch it by yourself. Great movie. Just don't watch it. <laughs> And that's, uh, that's, that's your that's tip. That's our tip. Week. But what is Oakland's tip? Oakland's tip is get a pre-approval and a rate hold. And I love this tip for one reason specifically. Well, two reasons, let's say. The pre-approval gets all the paperwork to the broker and it gets you kind of a head start so that you're along the process. So actually when you find a property, you're actually going to be ready. The rate hold on top of that gives you security that you know what your rate is going to be. And typically it's, you know, 90 to 120 days or so that you actually have that rate hold in in effect. So you want to just, even if rates go down, you just, you can get the lower rate, but at least you have that rate in case rates increase, right? And then the last thing that I really, really love about this is so many people go out shopping and they're out looking on the weekend and they don't think they're they're really quite ready but then they see a property that they love and chances are other people love it as well it's a, it's a pretty special property and then they don't have the option of going subject free because they haven't made any progress on their financing yet. or or they're not even sure if they can actually afford it sure that's the other thing right yeah. so many people go out shopping thinking i got a ballpark figure or i'm looking for x and they haven't really run those numbers with a professional to know exactly what they can afford. And in that case, you fall in love and you break your heart. Right. And somebody out there shopping with a rate hold, with a pre-approval, they're much better positioned now to be competitive with their offer or strategic with their offer, right? And you know what? Last thing to say about this, uh, and this is part of the Oakland tip, is talk to somebody at your bank, but talk to an independent broker as well. What's you, your uh, What's your reason for talking to uh, an independent broker? You've got a great buying a flight story. I do have a great buy. I forgot. You know what? I don't use that anymore. Uh, I I mention it every once in a while. Okay, so this is yeah. The, bu- the, the, the 
Find the fight. Actually, a mortgage broker asked me if he could use that. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I don't know. Here, okay. Well, now you're building it up. I'm, I got okay. high hopes. So the reason to use a mortgage broker is a mortgage broker is like Expedia, whereas your bank is like, I want to fly to Toronto walking up to the Air Canada counter and yeah. saying, I got to leave in two hours, right? For sure. There's no competition. The mortgage broker, they're looking at many different lenders, many different types of products, yep. and you can choose one that's tailored towards what your goals are. You definitely want to talk to an independent broker. They may not, in the end, get you the product, the best product. Yeah, that's banks for you, can often outdo mortgage brokers. But you definitely, you definitely want to be comparing and contrasting, and that's the best way to do it. Absolutely. But before we get to our interview, and I got to say, this is one of my favorite conversations we've had this year. Yeah, and it's a heady it's, one. It's great at the end of the year to finish strong with somebody like Andre Pavlov. Um, I'm super excited about this conversation, but we should say we were live at Bento. Andre and, uh, came down. Andre came down to Live at Bento, which is obviously our other sponsor of this show. And I should say before, Live at Bento, uh, they're doing the best thing ever, comparing and contrasting specific Vancouver food, right? We're talking Pad Thai. We're talking donuts. (laughs) What else are we talking? Coffee. We're talking coffee. Christmas themes. We're uh, we're talking Thanksgiving. I I think they did a pumpkin pie one. Oh, yeah? Local, Local and regional sources and for it's those all pies. live and you can engage and we're live at live at that's Bento why we're too. there we're there and we we were there last night vancouver real estate live with uh with taylor Steele, and it was a good time so you need to be checking out live at bento but matt let's cut to our interview with andre pavlov enjoy guys this is a good one Okay, we're here with Andre Pavlov, professor of finance at the Beattie School of Business at Simon Fraser University. How are you doing, Andre? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for taking the time today. We really appreciate you coming out. And uh, past yeah. guest, fan pa- favorite. Yes, for sure. But <laughs> but for for people that don't know your work and and who you are, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I mostly uh, do research in real estate, and I've taken interest in the Vancouver real estate market and and BC real estate markets in general. Um, it's a fascinating place, and I'm lucky to be here to to be able to have a close look at that. It, is there anywhere else in the world that you'd want to research real like focus on? Like, I mean, Vancouver seems like such a dynamic market. Do you have a market that that if you weren't working in Vancouver or looking at Vancouver, where you'd want to specialize? Well, I've been lucky enough to have data and then actually be in many other places. Yeah. Uh, I've done a bunch of work in Los Angeles, San Francisco. Oh, nice. You know. Um, New York, um, London, so a great paper recent on, on uh, Brexit and, and London real estate prices. So, um, yeah, I mean, I've, I'm not confined to Vancouver, but Vancouver is fascinating in the way that it's uh, so unaffordable, uh, especially to the locals. Right. And, and actually, I'm just thinking out loud here. Uh, we always talk about Vancouver being a potential global city or a global city on the rise. Uh, if you're looking at, you know, the San Francisco's, the London's, uh, New York, do you see Vancouver as kind of part of that uh, larger kind of global superstar cities or whatever you call them? Uh, or, or do you think that's a little bit overblown? Oh, I've got to be very careful here not to offend, <laughs> not to offend any of my uh, great Vancouverites. Uh, nobody, friends. don't worry, nobody um, from Vancouver is listening. Of course, not. I mean, it's very difficult to to compare, uh, you know, the New York or, or Los Angeles um, art scene or, or or live performances or that kind of stuff to to Vancouver. So, um, I don't think Vancouver is 
quite at that level in terms of size or, or what it offers. Having said that, it has a unique position to, to be gateway to Asia. Um, so obviously it's its physical location, but it's also, you know, being located in Canada with fairly liberal immigration policies. And, and you know, it's not just the rules, it's also how we apply them in, in my view, in a pretty humane way. Right. Um, and that um, I think that um, that can serve as a, as a, a bridge between the two continents, and uh, Asia being a very dynamic place, you know that's that's a unique opportunity, and I think Vancouver has carved itself uh, a place in that um, in that connection. Right. right, that's kind of an interesting way to to think about it, right? And it seems like now the with the deep roots and the deep connections, it's almost. An inevitable connection, right? That can't be severed in in a lot of ways. No matter well, what, it, it can be messed up, right? <laughs> so, and, and and you know, we, we, I, I, as I'm sure we'll talk about, we, we've right. done some of that, right? We've done some damage, uh, but uh, but we start. Luckily, we started from a very, a very fortunate position, both geography and and sort of political economy. Um, uh, situation that that Vancouver can really serve as a, as a gateway, as a bridge to to Asia, and I think that's fantastic. That that's an opportunity we should take. Do Do you have a like we've we've asked this question of other people in the past, but do you have a market like another city that just when you look at it, it reminds you exactly of of the Vancouver market or as close as you can maybe get, like a Sydney or or something along those lines. Yeah, I mean, every city is unique. Um, obviously, Seattle and, and San Francisco are also gateway cities, you right. know, being for, you know, thanks for their geography, um, and, and but also a bit of the culture. Uh, it, it's not just that. Uh, obviously, Vancouver has unique advantages being located in Canada. Um, mm-hmm. so, so the U.S. immigration policy is more difficult to deal with. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if the rules are stricter, but, but everything takes longer, and, and it's more unpleasant um, right. um, from what I gather. Uh, so because of that, at Simon Fraser University, for example, we get great foreign students, like absolutely fantastic, who actually sometimes have admission offers from top schools in the U.S. And in the end of the day, they come to us partly because, you know, uh, it, it's much easier to get the paperwork done. There is a clear path later to a work per- permit so they obtain some real-life experience. Um, so those things matter, and they add up. Not one single thing is going to drive the, thing, the, the, the whole um, idea, right. but, but it adds up. And because of that, uni- Vancouver is fairly unique. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe switching gears, we've been, we, recently we've been starting our talks. We've been talking to a lot of people in the development industry uh, and, and kind of in the real estate industry, and we've been asking uh, the question, why real estate? But we've never actually asked uh, an economist or an academic that question. What, why do you? Why are you so interested in real estate? Why study real estate? What's What's exciting about real estate for you? Well, there's a pragmatic reason, which is it's relatively under research field. So if you count the number of articles in in asset pricing or asset allocation, you get thousands. Uh, if If you count articles specifically uh, targeted at the real estate market or real estate investments. You still get quite a few, but less. You probably get in the hundreds. Um, and um, so that I saw that as a bit of an opportunity, as a bit of a niche. Um, so that's sort of a pragmatic side. The other side is it really, really, really matters uh, because this is the single buying a pro- home or selling a home or getting a mortgage. 
those decisions, each one on their own, can have profound consequences for your financial well-being and even emotional well-being. Right. Uh, it really, really matters. It matters a lot more than your stock portfolio because, I mean, frankly, what was the last time you looked at your stock portfolio, <laughs> right? You kind of buy it and leave it there and right. maybe you pay someone to monitor it, but it does not affect the way you live. Buying the wrong home or getting the wrong mortgage not only can tremendously alter your financial situation, it affects you every day. Every day you walk in right. through the door uh, and you can love it or not love it and, and you can be upset or happy because of those one, two or three single decisions there. So it matters a lot and that attracted me. Right. right. Maybe um, moving on kind of to the market a bit because we've, we've talked with you about the market. Uh, it was a while back now, but um, what was the most surprising thing about the market this this almost past year for you? Well, clearly the market suffered because of all the um, uh, you know speculation and vacancy tax and school tax and all the other housing-related measures that are focused on demand. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that did reduce demand, especially for high-end properties. Um, so the, the, the market suffered from that. And um, now people are, appear to be coming back. So transactions are up. I don't know if prices are up quite yet, but usually transactions happen before prices move. Um, so the, for the thinking out there, I think, is that the spring is going to be another strong market. Um, partly because people postpone the decision to buy a home, but they can't postpone forever. Kids are arriving, people are getting forming families. Uh, you do enough of that, uh, you, you, you want to get on with your life. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so I think the, all those buyers, they have not gone away. We have not lost population. We sh- certainly have not built anything, oh, <laughs> hardly <laughs> anything. So, so the supply and demand fundamentals are there, meaning we have a housing shortage, a very severe housing shortage. Um, so it's only a matter of time um, until those buyers who, you know, were like unsure what's going to happen with the PC uh, policies, you know, I mean, there's only home, so much they can hold out and, and, and they appear to be coming back right now. Right. Did, did that surprise you? Were you thinking the, the kind of downturn would be draw, like a longer, more drawn out kind of uh, buyer's market, if you will? It seems like now the sales ratios, at least from the last couple months, uh, we're moving back into seller's market territory. Uh, the confidence is back. But, it, but it, looking back now, uh, if that was kind of the the downturn, it seemed relatively short. Is that your sense, or were you expecting this? It is short, but um, it was pretty severe, especially for high-end properties. Mm-hmm. So it's not to be underestimated. I mean, I know the average price decline was, what, about 10%, so that doesn't sound like much, even though it's not small, because that will put a lot of people sure. in negative equity territory. Um, but the decline in the higher-end part of the market was much more severe, um, you know, 20, 30, maybe even 40%. Mm. Um, and um, so the decline wasn't small. And then uh, in terms of uh, the timing, well, there's pressure, right? We have population growth. We still have people coming in here. There's a lot of pressure from the fundamental demand, um, uh, you know, uh, to, to, to buy real estate. And as I said already, we've done absolutely nothing on the supply side. So if, if you're kind of considering buying, 
you might be worried about prices jumping again because we have even more people now. We've taken another year or two Mm -hmm. of population growth with absolutely very little, um, hardly any uh, supply response. So, So do you think we've hit bottom then in the market? Well, it appears that way, except I worry um, what other things the government will do. So, Mm -hmm. sure, yes, if the government stops here and uh, and if they reverse some of the misguided policies they've put in place, yes, that would be the bottom. But um, um, I worry a little bit because this government, especially at the provincial level, appears to be set on penalizing homeowners. They're not going to be very happy to see homeowners making money, even if that money is just on paper. Mm-hmm. So the question is, are they going to come up with other policies and, and are they going to undermine property rights even more to um, to reduce prices artificially? What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Because it seems to me, uh, well, I know, I know I have a sense of your thoughts, but what are your thoughts on their, on actual uh, potential policy moves moving forward? Because uh, it seems to me right now with, what we're seeing, especially in the sub $1 million market where it's pretty robust, I don't think anyone would say the all these measures to, to tackle affordability have actually done much, unless you're looking at the $3.5 million house, then I think you're, you've gotten a pretty good haircut off the what it would have been worth a couple of years ago. But but do you sense that there's there's more policy measures coming down the, the line? So before I answer that, uh, I will actually take an issue with improved affordability at any level. Okay. So clearly the affordability at the entry level has not been improved. On the contrary, I think it's been made worse. So sure, prices are lower, but prices are not about – affordability is not just about price. So lower price is good because it lowers your mortgage amount. But if the terms on the mortgage become harder and there's suggestion that – Banks don't like to lend in declining markets. So even if there's no change in policy at the bank level, you know, banks don't are not gonna jump in a declining market. So the terms of the financing terms become worse. And then more importantly, the risk on the equity investment, whatever the homeowner pays, the risk on that investment goes up tremendously. Because you normally have to price in the risk of market fluctuations, maybe oversupply, whatever. Now in in, in BC, we have to factor in the additional risk of what else the government would do. Um, so so the the cost of that equity goes up because it becomes riskier. So uh, those two things alone um, make it actually harder to buy, even at the lower prices. Um, and then, of course, we have higher taxes, we have uh, higher utility bills and, and all kinds of things that that actually make cost of ownership directly higher. So, sure, we've reduced prices, but the cost of ownership has not gone down, in my view. It has gone up. And um, it's difficult to measure the exact cost of ownership because we don't know exactly what people think about their down payment and, and what return they expect on that. But I look at the data, and the data is that people were not buying for a long time. So uh, if, if even though prices declined. So, mm-hmm. uh, so mm-hmm. if that was such a good deal, people would have piled on to, that, to those lower prices and it took quite a long time for that to happen. So uh, the cost of home ownership hasn't declined. And on the upper side, uh, the higher end of the market, yeah, sure, the prices have declined <laughs> there more. So maybe there's some improvement of affordability, but then the, 
That requires larger down payment. That requires a more difficult mortgage to begin with because banks don't like to make large mortgages. So those terms, in my view, have become even worse. So I'm not even sure that affordability in that segment has gone up, possibly by a little bit, but certainly not by, uh, by quite a bit. So, so the measures have not improved affordability, in my view. They've reduced prices, but there's a lot more to affordability than price. Now, judging by that track record, your question was, what can we expect? So in the past, clearly, the, the BC government has taken steps to undermine property rights. So they tell you what you can do with your property, how many nights you can sleep in it, and, and if you don't, we'll penalize you, right? So, so I can... I mean, they're imaginative, right? So they, <laughs> who knows what they'll come up with, but yeah. ultimately it's going to be telling you what you can do with your property. And the more they do that, the, the, they're essentially expropriating property rights. And then at the end, if they say, uh, oh, we have no property rights in BC anymore, then the price will go to zero, right? So the government does have the power to bring the price to any level they want by expropriation. Uh, now, I hope they don't go there, uh, because if they do, I mean, first of all, there will be uh, legal challenges on, on constitutional grounds, and more importantly, um, you know, we'll have an election sooner or later, and, and that's not going to go very well for them. But, uh, but that's the, that they have basically unlimited ammunition to expropriate property rights. It sounds like you're, uh, I guess, going down the kind of the logical conclusion kind of line there. But it sounds like uh, in those terms, I've, I've, the NDP is more of an existential threat than I was even thinking. Um, it sounds like you're 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 pretty negative on them. Yes, yeah, so you, you can tell. <laughs> Well, it's it's. I wasn't negative when they got elected, but I was negative when they introduced the speculation and vacancy tax in particular, and mm. also the school tax, um, because in my view, these are these infringe on property rights. So we are quite literally stealing from homeowners. Uh, and and if you look at all the other housing measures, they clearly indicate thinking that homeowners are the enemy. Uh, and in, in general, property owners are the enemy, and mm -hmm. they need to be penalized and taxed, and, and you know we we're going to reduce their ability to do what they can rightfully do with their asset um, in favor of um, people who don't own, who you know, I mean, not that I'm cynical, but um, are more likely to vote for us. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So it sounds like the biggest threat facing the Vancouver real estate market, in your opinion, is, is the government. Absolutely. It has been the, the, the main issue and, right. uh, for a long time. And um, I mean, I understand we have an issue of affordability, and that may require some government intervention. But in my view, the intervention should be on the supply side, entirely on the supply side. And it is to stimulate supply. And instead, we have a number of measures that are constricting supply, um, just look at the building code or the, or the permitting process. Um, so the government is restricting supply, and then instead of stepping back and, and relaxing those restrictions, they impose more restrictions on the demand. Well, two wrongs don't make it right, mm -hmm. so, uh, and, and we see that in the market. The market today is not more affordable than it was in the past, uh, despite the lower prices. Do, does, the, does the Vancouver real estate market, does do prices in Vancouver make sense to you? Like when you look at all the other markets in the world that you're studying, 
um, you know, you hear a lot of people that are saying, well, look at, look at average salaries or wages or, you know, a variety of different factors that seem to kind of work, uh, used to work more in local context, but maybe don't apply in, in international markets or in kind of like cities that are, are kind of considered future cities. But do, do the metrics in Vancouver make sense and do the prices make sense to you? Well, I mean, we know what they are. Vancouver is unaffordable. I don't think there's any question right. about that, uh, especially for someone making a living here. And I think we are all painfully aware of that. Um, the, question, the, 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 the question is, what's the cause of that? And, and, and uh, in my view, it's, it, the, the, the reason is squarely on government restrictions on supply. So for years, we've been providing less supply than we need um, and uh, quite a bit less. And, um, I mean, you don't need to take my word for it. Just look at how long it takes for a building application to get approved, even for a basic project. Um, and then add to that building code and add to that all the restrictions on, on um, you know, accessing new land um, uh, like the Agricultural Land Reserve uh, look at our infrastructure. So our infrastructure is really in very, very bad shape. It's highly insufficient, and that compresses us all into a tight area because you can't commute very far, right? Mm. Um, so uh, the, that constriction of supply is a result of government policy. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you do that for a decade or two, you're going to get high prices because Vancouver is desirable, and, and we already discussed why. Yeah. Yeah. Is so in thinking. Um, we've had a, a a gentleman from the states, Teo Nikolai, on a few times. He's and he uh, has talked a lot about. We've just had him on talking about market cycles, right? Like how every real estate uh, market goes through cycles and kind of what to watch for. Uh, you know, there's the the hyper supply stage uh, where there's there's uh, a lot of supply on the market that just never seems to happen here. Like, how does how in your from your perspective does Vancouver fit in that larger market cycle at this stage? Considering we're just not building enough, um, and it seems like if there's any cycle happening, it's almost due to government intervention. Like, what are your thoughts on kind of the traditional market cycle in relation to where we're at? right now yeah so the the reason we have market cycles in in normal real estate markets is that it's difficult to predict demand and projects take a long time so if you have a project that takes two years to build you start the project when the demand is high and you can't stop i mean it's very very costly to stop so uh, so you complete the project and you might very well be completing the project when the demand has turned um and that generates cycles. And every normal city would have periods of overbuilding. And, um, you know, then we'll have declining new starts. And then eventually the economy will pick up and, and you know, that supply is going to be absorbed. And in my view, that's just a feature of the real estate markets because it takes so long to build and it's difficult to forecast demand. Um, in Vancouver, we're practically not building. I mean, the, the building that we have is highly insufficient. Um, so because of that, we're never into oversupply situation. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the, certainly the last market cycle was entirely caused by the government, by government-specific intervention to manipulate prices. It, it was not a fundamental um, response to change in demand or change in, in supply. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, Vancouver is all about, unfortunately, uh, to what the government does rather than uh, normal market forces. And that makes it uh, riskier. Uh, and then because of that, it generates even a bigger uh, market shor- uh, supply shortage. Mm-hmm. So in like just in talking to people every day, oh, every, every market goes through cycles, you know, this can't go on forever, that type of thing. Uh, it, it sounds to me like what you're actually saying is, well, it, it may not be able to go on forever because of things like government interventions. But in fact, if you highly limit the supply, the, the type of uh, overheated demand could potentially go on forever. <laughs> Yes, it could, because we have grow, a gl- growing population. Right. So we have growing mm-hmm. population in Canada, growing local population, and we have people coming into Vancouver from the rest of Canada and also the rest of the world. So as long as those three factors are in place, and I can't see how they're going to reverse, um, the demand is going to keep growing. So the way to get a normal mar- market cycle that, in my view, would be healthy would be to increase supply so much that... You know, even with those three factors, we actually don't have enough buyers, right? So we have oversupply, even all these three factors. But that requires massive, uh, massive increase in supply, not just the, you know, a few thousand units that we get here and there after many years of delay. That basically requires doubling the size of um, of the lower mainland over ten years. Do you have an like? A, what's the easiest way to do that? Any thoughts? Well, it needs to be uh, both density and new land. So uh, clearly, density needs to increase, and I, I like the idea of um, and not uh, not through some sort of uh, hidden, obscure process, but um, you know, auction the density right. So decide how much density we want to increase in the city, and then auction that to developers. So get developers to pay for the right to to increase density. And this way, density will increase when it's most where it's most needed, and the developers that need it the most will pay the highest price. Um, so um, I don't know if you know, but this is a proposal by Tom Davidoff um, right, right. that he's had for a while. My modification to that is then take whatever the developers are paying and don't put it in the city coffins. Instead, um, pay the neighbors. So clearly the neighbors don't like the density. Right. Well, pay them, mm-hmm. right? So have a formula that, you know, it's not going to be perfect, but it's going to be something. If you're within a certain distance, pay, uh, you get, uh, you know, 100,000 compensation. And then if you're a little farther, then you get 10,000. And if you're a little farther, then you get 1,000. You get something, right? And I think that will turn neighbors from people who oppose the project to people who like the project mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone will be better off we're going to get the density and we're going to get the existing neighbors being actually quite happy with that um, and then of course the other so that's higher density and then the other uh, way we need to increase supply is through new land so uh, to me it's a travesty that we have farms within 15 kilometers of downtown Vancouver uh, and most of that 15 kilometers is already covered by SkyTrain so, um, yeah, sure, I hear arguments about food security or this is the most fertile land, and fine. I'm not saying force the farmers to convert to, to housing, but give them the right. Don't prevent them from doing that. And, 
if that land is so valuable, they will keep it as farms. And if that land is more valuable as um, housing, then they'll convert to housing. So let the market decide. Uh, and then, of course, you can't just build. You need to um, extend the, the the sky train to there and um, improve um, whatever our transportation infrastructure is. It needs to be improved so that it's quick to go from those new developments to downtown or to other places in the city. Right. Will, will light density help with, with all the changes that's happening with the city right now, like the RT zoning duplexes and coach homes coming in? I mean, it, clearly it's a step in the right direction, would you agree? So I have a paper with Tom Davidoff again and then Sir Somerville on, on the laneway houses. Um, mm-hmm. So laneway houses is, uh, in my view, when they came along, were a pretty clever way to increase density uh, without too, too much inconvenience or impact on the neighbors, right? It's, it's what we call gentle densification. Mm-hmm. And we find that, indeed, the neighbors of those properties, the properties that um, end up having laneways, uh, generally don't mind the laneways. The impact is not all that big. Um, but it is uh, substantial, it's statistically significant, and it's big in expensive areas. So if we go to... Um, Vancouver West, uh, the impact there is big, right? So, so I built a laneway that has a substantial impact on my neighbors. Um, so that kind of thinking leads us to places where gentle density is a good thing and everyone's happy about it and if the neighbors don't mind and places where it's a big deal and, and it shouldn't happen. And, and when you say, sorry, just to, so I understand, a larger impact in Vancouver West, is it based on kind of just a survey of the neighbors, like their their perceived impact of it, or? Yeah, I'm not very big on surveys because I don't <laughs> trust people to tell the truth. So what we look at is prices, so transaction prices. Oh, okay, so we look at uh, homes that transacted right. and have a laneway next to them versus homes that didn't. Okay. And we do it in a whole bunch of different ways. Um, and I believe that because there's real money involved, so people sure. rationally respond to what they see uh, in the house and in the neighborhood. And uh, the price impact of a laneway on the neighboring properties is very big in, in Vancouver West, basically expensive areas, and it's non-existent, uh, it's really zero, indistinguishable from zero, and could even be positive in, uh, in uh, lower-priced areas. Yeah. So that suggests that these kind of changes, gentle densification, I love it. It's conceptually very appealing to me, but should not be across the city. It should be really across, you know, it, it should be targeted at different neighborhoods. And our paper, frankly, can be used as a guide for that. So we, can, we have data on neighborhood by neighborhood, and we estimate that effect neighborhood by neighborhood. So we know where people don't like this kind of gentle densification, and we know neighborhoods where people are perfectly okay with it. Um, so then that densification should happen where people are okay with it, not where people are upset about it. So we have, uh, um, well, it hasn't happened yet, but we have Gil Kelly coming on the show in the new year. We're really excited about it. But we're, I'm wondering about this idea of the citywide plan. Um, that do you have any thoughts on uh, the the this basically instead of those the official community plans we're looking at a at a broader plan for for the city of Vancouver. Um, it sounds to me like that's a, almost a, 
uh, a more targeted approach is actually more useful in your mind when it comes to general densification? So I, I, need, I, think, I, I know we need to densify. Yeah. So any steps we take to densify are welcome. Uh, having said that, one plan for Vancouver is the wrong way to do it because the evidence, specifically based on this paper, but you don't have to read that paper. You just know that different neighborhoods like different things. And um, I know we're all about, oh, you know, we don't, you know, we don't want to treat the rich, the rich and the poor differently and this and that. That's fine, but we need to understand that certain neighborhoods, people in certain neighborhoods don't like certain forms of densification, and people in other neighborhoods are perfectly happy with them. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, so if we accept that, and I think that's, that's based on our paper, but also based on intuition, if that's the case, then densification should happen where people don't mind it as much mm-hmm. or at all. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I mean, I personally don't mind densification. I grew up in a very dense city. Um, I don't mind the noise, and I love people on the streets. I think if we do it right, and those areas become nice and attractive and offer all kinds of services, then everyone else is going to want it too. Uh, but the moment you start shoving densification down people's throat where they don't want it, then you kill the whole thing, and you slow down the process of densification mm-hmm. overall. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's... an an interesting idea because it almost seems like like so I, I live in Grandview uh, I was just thinking about getting paid for development near your house I mean one of the things that is going on in my neighborhood is you, Nanaimo's been basically shut down for a year uh, I can't turn onto my street I can't turn onto the street next door because there's duplexes being built in the RT5 which I'm all for there's multifamily going up a couple blocks over um, and in my mind, I'm thinking the payoff is actually that Nanaimo, which I saw as kind of a disaster for the city. It's just this wasted kind of highway th- that runs north-south. I don't – disaster might be strong. But uh, 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 an arterial. arterial that's <laughs> – an arterial that's not very exciting is yeah. actually going to be traffic calmed, it appears, with pr- more people on the street – more amenities closer to my house. Walkable, like it's it's yeah. actually going to make my neighborhood in the Eventually end. good restaurants, yeah. grocery stores, cafes. Exactly. So it's a lot better. But actually, I, in my mind, just when you're talking between East and West and uh, and a big move towards East Vancouver, it's almost because of that already existing in a lot of ways, right? Like the, a lot of those neighborhoods on the West side, potentially, I guess there's an exclusivity to it, which is why prices uh, presumably are impacted by gentle density, right? But in the end, I think you're right because everybody seems to be moving to the East side and the, and the West side doesn't seem to have that kind of the vibrancy that that street life and the things you're talking about actually have. So presumably over time, market forces will actually help incentivize uh, in the right direction if we're thinking gentle density is the right direction. Yeah, and it's not going to be just market forces. People are going to start changing their mind, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it, mm-hmm. Instead of seeing density as, as a pure negative, people are going to say, oh, that's pretty nice. Now I have restaurants and stores and coffee shops and, and people on the streets. I kind of like that. Okay, and I get paid for it, yeah. you know? Well, I'm all for it. Can we have it, right? So then instead of developers fighting to get density rights, it's going to be the homeowners fighting to attract developers, right? Sure. And, and, and that kind of situation, you get 
fantastic outcome for everyone. And we get the density that we need without forcing really yeah. anyone to do anything they don't want. And the city's listening to homeowners purportedly, <laughs> right? That's that's the idea. So, I mean, if, if the homeowners are, if people from the community are actually voicing their opinion and wanting yeah, support, right, support. as opposed to it's support being shoved right down now. It's, exactly, exactly. No, that makes a lot of sense. So, so that supposedly is, is a big point in my view because I'm not sure the city, I'm not sure what <laughs> who the city of Vancouver is listening to because uh, many of their policies are not really uh, uh, helping homeowners either. But that aside, absolutely, right. if there is a serious point there, if we, if we get homeowners and developers on the same side, right. Even a city like the city of Vancouver will go along. Have to listen. Know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Can can we talk about? Have you guys done any studies about um, like larger multifamily developments um, and in the communities that would would embrace like high density projects? Um, just out of curiosity. Yeah, or even yeah, even like like sub areas, forty eight like, units, or yeah, like not even a not even a high rise actually. That's because I mean, we're, when you look at like when people look at the city of Vancouver, a lot of people wonder, well, what's going to basically get upzoned and has the potential for becoming kind of more, you know, like a mm-hmm. like a Brentwood, right, or something along those lines. Do you any any areas in Vancouver specific that you would look at and say it seems ripe for development? Yeah, so I have a paper on that which uses the Rental 100 program in Vancouver, uh, which gives density bonus if you develop a purpose-built rental. And uh, so we study the effects. We look at every project that has gone up under that program, and then we study the effects on the neighbors. Um, And it's so, first of all, if the neighbors are condo owners, no impact. In fact, they kind of like it because probably the Rental 100 building is uh, is replacing something that's run down or out or crumbling or ugly or whatever. Uh, but um, even the homeowners there don't mind it that much. So we do find a small negative effect, but that effect is not significant. So um, that means it could be zero. Uh, so the Rental 100 program, wherever we see those uh, apartments being built, clearly that program has been successful because it appears that the neighbors are not particularly upset about uh, about that higher density. Um, right. So that's a nice clean experiment because you get it's you know you get a higher density on the same piece of land. Um, so it, it's so it's you've a nice already experiment. done this paper on the rental one hundred. So yes. that would be a good a good paper to kind of I guess basically as a guide for where there seems to be more acceptance. That's right. That's and right. was so, that in the city of Vancouver or was it in Metro Vancouver? Well, Rental 100 is the city of Vancouver just problem. Of Van- so it's right. got to be... So it's got just within the confines yeah. of Vancouver. Yeah, right? so that, that'd be a good start. Wherever those projects went up, yeah. that, uh, that'd be a very good start for, for densification because we have evidence that those neighbors don't mind it so much. We'll link to that on that paper. But on is our that website. so? I'm just thinking. Yeah, it's asking for a friend. But uh, um, would that be? Is that a good start for? Uh, if I understand correctly, places where developers should should be looking to to do further uh, projects because of that, um, or is yeah? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's exactly right. Because clearly, we have evidence that people there don't mind. And then the other conclusion of the paper is that um, condo owners don't mind the new density, not nearly as much as single family owners. Right. So then that 
naturally implies that the new density should be adjacent to existing high density. I right. think that's a very natural way to go. Rather than a sky rise here, a sky rise there, you know, that, sure. that wouldn't work so well. Right, right. Um, I, do you, I, have a, I have kind of a question. It's a little bit shifting gears, but sure. it, just going back to kind of um, this idea of governor, government intervention and, and kind of price compression. So mm-hmm. we've seen, as we kind of talked about earlier, uh, at, the, at the low end of the market here, a lot of pressure, and I think it's, we're seeing kind upward of up, pressure upward now. pressure now on the lower, like one beds are on fire right now. Um, and uh, yeah, you were involved in multiple offers last night where we're setting new records in $150,000 over asking, in, and, in, and asking wow. seemed not that far 650K off. 650K for a one bed's not. Uh, and it landed at 790. So almost 800K, and that's wow. at Main and Broadway, right? So yeah. that's not even downtown. So we're seeing upward pressure on that one bedroom, and we're seeing yeah. downward pressure yeah. at the higher end. Anything, I would say, still over what two five two eight on the west side seems to yeah, be. Yeah, and, and and that example isn't like an outlier. We what we should like we, this past weekend downtown for one beds. There was a few one beds that weren't even considered bait prices that had ninety people, ninety groups through on a Saturday. Yeah. Right. So I mean, we're talking like blanketed in the city of Vancouver. One beds right now are are very, very active, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And so. I just called somebody on yeah on the east side where in Strathcona where even six months ago it was pretty slow and multiple offers on two units today. It was so, our deal of the month six months ago. Yeah, it, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but but, uh, but so, okay, we're still seeing kind of upward pressure and we've said on the podcast before, we have a guy who famously said, you know, everything's going to be a million bucks at one point because, you know, it's just everything's moving in that direction. At the same time, uh, there's people out there that are saying, okay, this doesn't, there's a trickle down from lower prices at the high end, like it's going to move through the market. But it doesn't seem to have done that at all. Um, what are your thoughts on that idea of, of kind of lower prices at the high end trickling through the market? Does that, does that actually make sense to you? I hear that all the time. Yeah, sure. The markets are connected. It takes time. But yeah, you can't have compression for a long time because... Well, two reasons. First, the seller of that condo you just described, well, now they're $150,000 richer. Where are they going to go, right? West Vancouver. There you go. <laughs> well, possibly, but no, I'm, I'm you sure. get the idea, right? Yeah. So, so th- certainly that person is richer, quite a bit richer than they thought. Yeah. So they're, and they need to live somewhere. Now, right. some of them are going to be leaving town, but some are going to be coming back. Overall, that's going to translate eventually into higher prices for higher-end properties. Mm-hmm. because of the sellers of those condos you're describing. Sure. Um, and then at the same time, um, at some point people are going to say, well, if I can only spend another two, three, five hundred thousand, which I know is real money, but you know the, the, the interest cost on that is not that much. So if I can only do that on top of what I'm already doing, well, then I get a house, right? Mm-hmm. And then I get a house in... On a quiet street, right? And then, so so those things are connected. It takes time, mm-hmm. right? But um, so, so we've seen. I would say it's basically the stress test that has kind of created that price. Com- well, I guess foreign buyers tax. It's really been kind of. I don't know. The stress test it seems policy seems like it's been that but the was gap a, is. Your point is the gap is very narrow, and it it seems to. But we're almost narrow. two years 
deep, right? That that was the end of 2017 was a stress test. Yeah. So we've we're kind of two years deep. But you you're saying that this this kind of price compression we've been seeing, yeah, is not going to last forever. And in fact, it's not. It's it's probably not long for this world because at some point it, the gap's just not wide enough and it doesn't make sense and people will jump back into yeah. the higher higher the, price that's points. That's right. So the, so the gap will increase. Now I don't know whether it's the high end is going to increase in price or the low end is going to decline but it I mean, based on what you said it sounds like the higher end is going to start increasing too. Right. Those markets are linked. You cannot have small differences between vastly different properties because sure. we know what we like, right? And people mm-hmm. will jump on the type of properties they like. Now, in terms of the stress test, so the stress test was clearly very beneficial when it was introduced because interest rates were about to go up and they could have very easily gone up 2%. That was like the thinking at the time. That wasn't even that extreme. Now, no one's talking about interest rate increases. Everyone's talking about zero interest rates mm-hmm. or even negative, right? Right. right. Uh, so the question I have is why are we still keeping the stress test uh, under the current market conditions? And more importantly, I can understand the stress test at purchase, but stress test at mortgage renewal makes absolutely no sense right. because it doesn't help the borrower in any way. You're not going to sell your home because interest rates might go up 2%, right? That. So what it does is it logs borrowers with the bank they're currently with. Right, and they're not around, allowed to and shop around. So this right. is really a hand, uh, this is to be very blunt, theft from the borrowers and, and a gift to the lenders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I experienced that firsthand recently. <laughs> um, but it, it's, it's, it, we're, we're talking to people that are experiencing it all the time, right? Yeah. I mean, especially it depends what you're doing in refinancing and it, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky time still you know, uh, for, for yeah, the it seems like it's, although it's of, loosened, it seems like it's loosened up a little bit, but, uh, but yeah, shopping around kind of five years in, if your situation's changed yeah. or, it's or well, so, the rules have changed, yeah. that's for sure. So, yeah. yeah. What are your thoughts on the market in 2020? Well, I mean, I think we, we covered some of that. So the, clearly people are coming back into the market. Mm-hmm. So if, uh, unless the government intervenes with other creative ways to, to penalize homeowners, um, I think we're going to see a pretty fast recovery, mostly because the demand has been building up. We have more people moving in, more people being born, families being formed. All of that is on track. hasn't really changed. Um, and we've built very, very little, uh, and we're building less today. Right. Um, so, so with those two, demand being on the rise as normal, and, and then supply being highly constricted, um, yeah, at some point that's going to translate into higher prices. Do you have a, a guess if, if there is another policy change coming, potentially coming, any thoughts on what it might be? Yeah, so given the track record of the current government, it's, you know, they have signaled that they have no problem reducing or under, undermining the property rights of current owners. Mm-hmm. So um, I think they don't see that as a cost. I think they see homeowners as... You know, the enemy who's uh, made money and, and now needs to be penalized. Uh, so so, so it would be... lowering the school tax or, or is there anything specifically you think that... Or hiring. Well, or, hiring. Or, or I'm sorry, hiring. Well, meaning uh, lowering the threshold. Oh, lowering, lowering the, the threshold. threshold. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Or well, hiring the amount, right? So, yeah. I mean, but there was proposal already to lower the threshold to a million dollars. So mm-hmm. the school tax now applies to property over $3 million. So the idea is to apply it starting at a million dollars. 
right? Yeah. So that's one thing they can do. They can raise the tax itself, which is already huge, but um, um, that's that's another thing they can do. Um, clearly, the, the speculation and vacancy tax also can be expanded because, you know, they can, in two ways. One is they can increase the rates, but more importantly, they can make it even stricter on what you can and cannot do with your property. So they can impose further restrictions on what you're allowed to do with your property. So there's a whole bunch of um, mechanisms they they have. I don't know which one they'll choose, but ultimately it may very well, in fact, very likely it will reduce property rights. It's going to undermine property rights for all the property owners. So so with all this said, uh, it sounds like you're f- still fairly bullish on 2020. You think that the based on what we're seeing now, it's going to translate to a fairly busy spring, barring any kind of fairly, well, maybe not so big change. These are fairly minor things that would have huge impacts, though, I guess, uh, the type of interventions you're talking about. But would you be buying property in Vancouver right now? Well, I mean... So if I think 10 or 20 years from now, um, the demand will be there. It's a nice place. Other governments around the world have screwed things up so bad that, you know, it makes us stand out as uh, good. It's only on a relative basis, not on absolute <laughs> basis, but still. Uh, so, um, and I don't see that changing, right? I don't see, you know, governments around the world certainly you know, straightening up and, and doing the right thing. So uh, so the demand is going to be there. We're clearly not building, uh, nowhere near enough. So um, with those two factors, science, that, that only has one way to go. Um, so the only unknown is, you know, as I said, government intervention. But even that is limited because we have an election coming up one way or another. And there is a limit to how much people will take in terms of abuse from the government before they stand up and, and kind of vote this government out of power. And and I just have one other question. This is more of a in, in, uh, asking for a friend investor question, but in terms of property type, what what would you, if you were buying in 2020, what would you buy? Mm-hmm. Well, I, to be frank, I like buying land because uh, we're certainly not accessing more land. Right, we have sure. more land in in the lower mainland. It's not true that we're running out of land, but but the obstacles to accessing new land are just enormous. So I don't see that ever happening. Um, so the way we're going to increase supply is through densification. And when someone comes and tries to do a land assembly, you get paid per square foot of land, not per square foot of building or anything like that. Right. So um, so. T- you know, if I, I I can't give advice, but if I was doing something, I'd buy the biggest possible a lot in the nicest possible location, um, regardless of the structure. Right, good good advice. Um, maybe we'll leave it there, Andre. But we have this quick segment called the Five Wire: Five Quick Questions about Vancouver. Can you stick around for that? Of course. Okay. So, question number one: What is your favorite neighborhood in Vancouver? Um. Well, I kind of like Kitsilano because it's um, a mixture of uh, high density, low density. It offers all kinds of property types. Right. Uh, it's close to downtown. Uh, it's very vibrant, close to the beach. 
So, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to limit it to Kitsilano, but that kind of thing that offers various forms and various densities, right. all within walking distance, I think that's, that's very attractive. It, it was also the home of a very famous debate we once had on the on the podcast, the Davidoff Pavlov debate of yes. 2018. So the question is, does that improve or, or what's in the neighborhood? Uh, favorite bar or restaurant in Vancouver? Oh, um, well, I like sushi, so it's pretty much any any sushi place uh, around town. I there's uh, I live in Dunbar, so there's uh, there's a neighborhood place near there that I kind of like. Nice, uh, yeah, very good. We've got some great sushi options. Yes. Um, what is uh, one piece of advice that you'd give your 18 year old self? Not Vancouver specific. Yeah. I don't know why I always say that. Yeah, not Vancouver specific. <laughs> Well, so um, I saw a great little poster that said, uh, teach your kids not, uh, uh, don't buy your kids what you wanted to have, teach them what you wanted to know. So uh, pretty much anything, learn anything, you know, learn how to nail a hammer and nail and learn how to solve a differential equation and, and, you know, whatever fits, but learn more. And yeah. I learned a ton, obviously, but certainly not enough. I would have liked to learn a hell of a lot more. Yeah, that's actually a really, that's a great one. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one. Yeah. One of the best answers I think we've had for that yeah. question. Learn more. And if you didn't learn enough, think about us. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is I spent a lot of years in school, right? Yeah. I don't know yeah. to what extent that translates into learning, yeah. number one. And number two, I learned very specific things. So what I'm talking about is learn general life You're like skills, a rena- renaissance you know. man and, and i mean i this is an interesting question for an academic and a professor but um do you have a, a book that you would recommend for listeners and maybe not something that's too too, <laughs> too academic or technical <laughs> well so there's lots i i like um uh, books like the big short um right I mean, so there is a movie, you know, frankly, I wasn't quite so excited by the movie, but the book I thought was excellent. Uh, and and it's not, it, it goes into too much detail for most people, I think. But there is one lesson there that is a lot of people can do the wrong thing for a long time. So a lot of people can be going down a, the wrong path for a long time. And it obviously it refers to the mortgage-backed securities in the financial crisis. A ton of people were buying these things as if they were safe and sound and secure. And of course they were not. So so the biggest lesson then is, well, try to think differently. So, so any book that gives you examples of benefits of thinking differently from everyone else, you know, I think that'd be a good book. Avoid the herd. Avoid the herd, yes. Avoid the herd. Uh, last question. Last question for you. Uh, what is something you've bought in the last year or two for under a thousand bucks that's changed your life um all right so we were talking about uh, uh renting on on the way here with uh, with chris so um i didn't buy anything over a thousand dollars i i uh i rented so i, I rented a lamborghini with uh you know as a birthday present for my nine-year-old and that was in lieu of all other presents and all parties nice. and everything 
And um, you let him as wasteful as that was, yeah, no, I didn't do that. On the back. <laughs> but, uh, but as wasteful as that was, um, it was such a pleasure to go for a Sunday drive, you know, yeah. just half an hour uh, with, with my kid. That was phenomenal. I feel yeah. like there's a lot of things out there like that you, that you should just rent. You know, like there's a lot. One of being a Lamborghini. Life. One of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah. but the but the also the idea of an experience there is a great is a great answer. The experience over That's there. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. I wouldn't buy anything. I don't think I bought anything over a thousand dollars. Period. But <laughs> even if I did, I think that would change my mind, yeah. my my life. But uh, but uh, yeah, experience. Yeah, travel or or, or some experience that. Yeah. That and and, would, and last question: How did it handle? You only had five questions. Well, thanks so much for your time, Andre. That was a, a fascinating uh, conversation, as it always is. Yeah. Um, how can people learn more about what you're what you're doing? I, I know you're big on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, I'm on else? Twitter. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I think that's my. And I I write quite a bit of op-eds uh, for the Vancouver Sun and other outlets. Um, and happy, of course, to share any of my papers. Um, Great. Um, we might actually, yeah, if we'd love to link to uh, the one, the Rental 100 paper that we discussed. Uh, sounds yeah. super interesting. I mean, also the gentle density. Or we'll, stuff on sure. or, we'll yeah. uh, or we'll link to the J store, and they'll they'll just have to get a membership. <laughs> well, the rental, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, the rental one is not published yet. It's still oh, work yeah. in progress. So oh, that yeah. one's free. Uh, oh, yeah. The other one, I have to check what the status of it, whether it's yeah. free or not. But um, We'll abide by the copyright rules. We're not gonna. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thanks, thanks again. again. Thanks again for your time. Of course. Thank you. So there you have it, folks. Our discussion with Andre Pavlov, professor from the Beattie School of Business out at SFU. Matt, that was a great conversation. And I'm just curious, do you still have your JSTOR password? I because uh, <laughs> from your university days because yeah. I I was trying to think what was the other one Biblio there was no, uh, um, e e ho, no uh, J EBSCO EBSCO host EBSCO host yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that was uh, I wonder if that's still around I oh. feel like that was like stuff that couldn't survive a improvements there is not <laughs> one ounce of me that ever wants to review an academic article again. <laughs> Not even a... Unless it's not a, Andre Powell. Yeah, yeah. Unless he's it's doing a, very interesting he's stuff. He's doing very and interesting. And he sent us some, sure. some stuff that we can link to. None of it's postmodern. Very, yeah. <laughs> but it's very specific to Vancouver. Right. And where density needs to be. There's a variety of very interesting questions that people are going to want to look at. You can yes. do that at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. The other thing is uh, so many people got in touch with us. Yes. So many people got in touch with us. After we had Rochelle and Alyssa from Epic Alliance on cash flow, $500 a month on a 200K, 40K actual in real hard cash investment. Right. So many people are excited about that. So many people have reached out. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen to that episode. If you're looking for something cash flow positive, it's pretty tough in Vancouver, but one place it isn't, and it's also hassle-free, is Saskatoon. Those guys are doing it right, and it's it's an amazing opportunity. And if if for only one reason to go back and listen to it, the, the interview starts that they met in prison. And so, Just so leave you, it there. Leave it there. Yeah, exactly. Um, what else do we have for today, Matt? We got Larry Beasley's signed book. We're giving away a signed copy of Larry Beasley's book. We're also giving a copy of Jody Vetrell's book, Beyond the Banks. Beyond the Banks. Both these books are being given away this week. The way to get 
into this draw? Very simple. You Google Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. You look on the right-hand side. There is a business profile. You hit review. You write a review. You are entered into Secret Straw. He pulls a name or two, in this case, every week. And uh, a lot of the people that have reviewed this podcast have won. Yes, it is a secret draw. It is a secret. It is a secret draw. So without further ado, who's getting Larry Beasley's signed copy this week? Secret? The winner is Jimmy Yargo. Yargo. That sounds, you said that with confidence. Yeah. I was, was it a silent J? I don't, I'm, I don't trust that, that you pronounced that correctly, Secret. What did, what did was Jimmy say? Jeremy Yarger. <laughs> what? What, what, did, what, what did Jimmy what have, have to say? He yeah. said, recently discovered this podcast. It is great. Super concise, varied topics, and high-quality guests. I'm learning a ton as we continue our local real estate journey. Thanks, guys. Yearny. all right and now we're gonna give so congrats jimmy get in touch we'll get you that book we also got the second book giveaway this is jody vetrol's book secret we got a winner the winner is philip jolling (laughs) you gotta be kidding you gotta (laughs) are you just is it all the silent j's you're just you're just searching j yeah yeah what's going on here and also uh what's with your name pronunciations (laughs) like is like i don't even think i can recreate that that's not how you pronounce that last name well well philip get in touch and he can uh, pronounce his (laughs) name what, what did what did philip say he says, great podcast. Highly recommend this podcast to anyone who wants to learn more about Canadian real estate. Is that? Okay, that's it. That's it. Thanks, Secret. That was good. Uh, get in touch, Philip, and we'll get you that book. And uh, what else do we got? We, we, got? we got our website, Matt. Right. We got VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com where we got tons of resources Things like our research tool, Private Client Services. Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor-level information at your fingertips. It's free. It's the best resource out there. We've tried them all. Sign up today for your free account at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. If you're not using PCS, you're doing it wrong. We also got the live wire. We got the stats. Deal Tons of, of stats. Deal Tons of, of stats. Month. And we're actually going to be focusing more on stats because it really we're getting a lot of good feedback on stats. And also, we've been uh, working a little bit to get some stats out there that UDI appreciates. No big, <laughs> no big whoop. <laughs> Have you heard of them? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> anyway, we got all this at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. sign up over there if you want to talk to me about this or anything else real estate related give me a call at 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com and if you're interested in utis (laughs) we have another line for you jinfo at (laughs) 
Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. 